0: Thanks, Samia, for bringing us that, uh, that part of God's word. We're going to continue our series today on enduring, and I'm going to ask uh, God to help us so that we will not harden our hearts, which is what we just heard. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Uh, we thank you for your goodness and for your mercy. We pray today as we sit under your word that we might indeed not harden our hearts, but that you keep our hearts soft towards you, and that today by your Holy Spirit we would make choices that help us to start and continue to run long until we stand in your presence and see you face to face. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start with a uh, quiz today. Uh, does anyone use notes anymore, uh, like paper notes or plasticky notes? You know, money, if you have money. I, 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 I used to Um, I don't know what money is anymore, I just do this, I get my wallet out and I just tap it like that, and and money magically transfers, goes from one place to another, it's very magical, I don't see notes at all. Um, Here's something amazing though, does anyone remember this note? Of course you're all going to say, I don't remember this note, because it's too big, right? There's a $100 note. Uh, This is also the old school one, that has been replaced, there's a new plasticky one, I've definitely never seen one of them, I, I don't know what they look like, they're green I think, is that right? Very good. Now, uh, this guy is an astronomer. Can anyone tell me who was on the other side of this note? Oh, someone said it. Who was it? Who was it? Douglas. Douglas Mawson. Oh, if only we had a car that you could play on for. But yes, that is correct. Uh, there we go. So it's, it's Douglas Mawson. And who was Douglas Mawson? He is a rigid Australian hero okay? He's the sort of guy that if you don't know much about, I'm going to tell you a little bit about him now, but he's the sort of person who should end up on the $100 note. He's the sort of person that we should all know. Uh, Douglas Mawson was a scientist and he was an, an Antarctic explorer, hence his lovely headgear on the, uh, on the show there. Now, he went for a walk with some friends. It was called uh, the, Great, the Great Eastern Sledding Expedition or something to that effect uh, with Mertz and Ninnis and Mawson, the three of them, and they headed off on this journey to discover strange new parts, a bit like Star Trek, strange new worlds going east in Antarctica from their base. And they headed off on the 10th of November, 1912, and they looked happy and hearty. They had two sleds and they had uh, six dogs each, I think, on, on each of those sleds. So they took off, and their plan was to go a long way and then come back again. Now, Antarctica isn't a very uh, forgiving place in any way, shape, or form, and uh, it must be said that over 100 years ago, the technology of the clothing was pretty poor, right? So they're wet, they don't have any Gore-Tex, they don't have any uh, of these wonderful things that we have today, but but they were incredibly brave and hardy men. Tragically, on the 14th of uh, December, 1912, uh, they're walking along and Mawson heard a sound behind him. Turned back, and he couldn't see Ninnis anymore. The ground had literally opened up underneath him, and he had fallen, just totally disappeared from their view. He went to look into the crevice. They came and, and looked over the edge of the crevice with, with Mertz, and they could see uh, about 50 feet below uh, one of the dogs on, uh, on a little ledge in this chasm that went into blackness and they heard no sound whatsoever from that, despite the fact that they stayed there for three hours calling out to their friend. His sled had all the food. It had their tent, and it also had six dogs. They are currently, at this point, 500 kilometres away from base. 500 kilometres away from base. They've been pulling everything along through the snow and the nightmare. Tragically, at that point, they, they decide to return home, and the only thing that they've got to eat is what? The dogs. Mertz, you're not going to believe this, Mertz is a vegetarian. He brought the dogs up. He absolutely loves them, and they work through until they've eaten the dogs. Tragically, what they don't know is that the livers of the dogs contain extraordinarily high amounts of vitamin A, and they actually get poisoned by it starts to drive them crazy and cause their skin to start rotting and all sorts of exciting things, as well as being in the middle of Antarctica, being underfed, pulling their stuff. It's extraordinary. And then another tragedy happens. On the 7th of January, overcome by his illness in the tent in the middle of a blizzard, Mertz dies. Mawson is now on his own 160 kilometres away with no dogs and no one with him. At this point, you could understand that he might give up and simply stay in his sleeping bag and wait for death to come. He doesn't do that. He cuts his sled in half and starts dragging it further onward. He keeps going, he keeps going, he keeps going until he ends up himself fallen through a crevasse. He's hooked up to his sled. Miraculously, his sled has stayed at the top. He's dangling by his harness in free space. He Pulls himself up to the lip of the, uh, of the ledge in absolute agony. And just as he's about to get over the top, he loses his grip and falls back down to be hanging at the end. Of, end. It's extraordinary. Somehow, at that point, he gets enough will to live up. He says he wants to see his fiance and, and his, uh, his team again. So he says, I'm, I'm going to try it one more time. That's all I've got. With bleeding hands, he makes it to the top, climbs over, erects his tent in a blizzard and gathers his strength he keeps going on <laughs> anyway the rest of the story is absolutely amazing he, he keeps going and eventually he stumbles into a pile of food that some of his friends who believed by by some hook or by crook he's he's still alive he finds a little bit of food makes it to a um a cave that has more food in it where they've set it aside and uh, and then they have the most intense blizzard that he's had the whole time he's in antarctica it gets out of that, makes it to, uh, makes it to um, the base. He says, <laughs> he says, it's easy, it's dead easy to die. It's keeping on living that's hard. I love it. I absolutely love it. That, that's, that's what kept, he's, he's just incredibly devoted. So anyway, he, he eventually makes it into the base, right? In time to see the ship sailing off. Literally, hours earlier, the ship had been there. They'd been waiting for him as much as they could. The ice was closing in. They've left behind four guys, and now he has to wait the entire Arctic winter before he can go home. This man, Mawson, is an extraordinary hero who shows us what enduring looks like, and he's an Australian, and we should know about him. What does enduring look like? It's easy to die. The hard bit is to keep on living. That's what enduring looks like. So how do we last in more ordinary circumstances? Today's sermon is on our fourth value, which is enduring. It's on lasting. It's on not being Christians who start the journey but don't finish it. And we need to hear the warning and the encouragement today because the Bible shows us that there are people who started really well but finished less than stellar. There's a guy like Eli who is one of the prophets of God whose sons went astray and dies as an old fat man falling off his chair because the ark of God has been lost. In contrast, we have someone who's standing strong right at the end, like Elijah, who loves God amidst all of the trials and tribulations of his life until God comes in a flaming chariot, picks him up and takes him to heaven. We've got people like David, who starts off as a shepherd and ends up decrepit with his sons trying to overthrow his kingdom. A sad and lonely man. We have his son Solomon who takes over as a man after God's heart and ends up as an idolater with a thousand wives. In contrast, the New Testament gives us some hope. You'll be encouraged to hear today. I want to tell you about two beautiful people who turn up in in the Bible. Um, Anna and Simeon turn up in in Luke's account of Jesus' life. And we see this wonderful uh, story here. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he should not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child in to Jesus to do with him what was customary to the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, listen to these beautiful words, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and glory for your people Israel." So Simeon held on until he saw God's promise fulfilled. And he said, God, you fulfilled your promise. You can take me home. Anna, this wonderful woman, Anna, in verse 36, it says, there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then she was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped God night and day, fasting and praying Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Two people who were faithful, they're ordinary people, but they were faithful to the very end. Brothers and sisters, I want you to grow old and faithful. I want those of you who are old to be faithful. I want those of you who are young to be old and faithful one day. So what tips should we keep in mind? We're going to have a, an eavesdrop in on Paul's communication to Timothy and how he encouraged him to stand firm. And I want to talk about grandmothers. They're good, aren't they? Man, I miss my grandmother. Um, she, uh, she died earlier this year at 102, and um, I just absolutely loved her to bits. And I want you to see the power of a grandmother here. It's in this reading. Uh, have a look with me at, uh, at 2 Timothy chapter 1, and we're going to see verses 3 to 5. So 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. I thank God, whom I serve, as my ancestors did with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Now I want to suggest to you that there are two great inheritances here. Two great inheritances. Number one, have a look at Paul. What does Paul inherit? He said, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did. Paul says, I've inherited my faith from my ancestors. And then he looks at this Jewish Gentile kind of half-caste boy, Timothy, and he says, Timothy, you have this same inheritance through your beautiful grandmother and your mother. What a wonderful inheritance that he has. So I want to ask us this morning as we think about applying this, this enduring value What could you start doing today so your grandkids might follow Jesus? What could you start doing today so your grandkids could follow Jesus? And can I encourage some of you today might not have children yet or might not have children. And in that case, I want you to think about your spiritual grandchildren. How could you be investing in the next generation in such a way that you leave a legacy of faith? And if you're thinking, I I, am just hope they get fed, hope their beds are made and that they're not late for school, I want to say that is not enough. I want you to think about the legacy, the spiritual legacy that you're leaving in your family. And I want you to think generationally. I don't want you to just think, I want my kids to be Christians. What would you do if you thought, I want my children to love Jesus and their children to love Jesus? What would I need to stitch into my kids now? What would I do if that was my passion? I don't have an answer for you, but I want you to think about it. And I want to remind you of this. Remember, we're talking about legacy and not destiny. You cannot make your kids Christians. You cannot make your kids kids Christians. It's not in our power. And so if today you're dealing with the heartbreak of having children who are far away from Jesus, know that it is in his hands and your prayer and your persistent prayer is what God wants from you. Keep praying. May he have mercy. But I want us to be intentional and not accidental in sowing a spiritual legacy into our families. What a beautiful thing that would be. Does anyone know what this is, this big leather thing? It's a bellows, and what's it doing? Anyone, any ideas? Yeah, yeah, so the brick thing, it's got a fire in there, and um, what the man's got, he's got a handle there. He's pulling down on that, and as he does that, he's pumping that massive bellows, and that's blowing air into the fire to heat it up, uh, which is awesome. Have a look at, uh, at verse 6 in chapter 1 here. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. You see, Paul is using this idea that fire plus fanning equals productive heat. Or if you're in Australia and it's bushfire season, destructive heat, right? Fire plus fanning, absolutely terrible. When when do we see our bushfires at their worst? Really windy days, really dry days. So wind and fire in the right place, very productive. In the wrong place, absolutely destructive, Uh, what is the gift? Paul tells Timothy to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. When you go, well, what's the gift that you need to fan into flame? Uh, There's a lovely little bit in 1 Timothy chapter four. I've I've got it up here for you. So the book just before, where it kind of explains perhaps what this is. Uh, Paul's writing to Timothy again. says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come... Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Preaching and teaching, perhaps, is Timothy's gift. And Paul says, I don't want you to neglect it. I want you to fan it into flame. You might wonder, why fire? Why is it fan into flame? Because uh, in the Scriptures, fire is actually often connected with judgment. So what's going on here? Why is it fan into flame? And uh, we're supposed to, I think, recall Acts chapter 2, where you remember at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes and it says they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that spread and came to rest on each of them. Interestingly enough, it was also accompanied by a wind. Isn't that interesting? A blowing wind and tongues of fire is the Spirit coming on the first church, and so, so it seems natural that Paul says, the gift of the Holy Spirit, you should fan into flame. Well, I want to ask you this, this morning, are you ready to discover your gifts by serving? So it says, fan into flame the gift that was in you. And you said, well, I don't know what gift I've got. I'm not sure what gift I've got. And, and, and so my answer to that would be, the way you find out what your gift is, is by starting to serve, by starting to serve. Okay? And so start serving somewhere. And the way that we'd encourage you to do that, come and join us, do the partnership course with you, and we'll give you a myriad of opportunities where you can serve in the life of this church. Come, come serve. Uh, My mum, when I was about 12, 13, I think, said to me, come help lead the kids, uh, the under five kids. And um, I started doing that, and I just loved it. And I didn't know I was going to love it. I I thought it was going to be babysitting and we teach the kids Bible, Bible memory verses, and I'd come next, next week, and I'd say, hey kids, what was the memory verse last week? And I wouldn't remember, and I'm thinking, there's no way they're going to remember, and they give me the Bible verse straight back. No, this isn't babysitting. This is actually investing in these beautiful kids so that they will know and love Jesus. And so I'm a convert to kids' ministry from when I was about 12 or 13. I absolutely love it. But I didn't know that until I started doing it, and Many of you find that out for yourselves. But it is a beautiful ministry. So how will you find it out? Find out by serving. Find out by serving. Are you ready to fan your gifts into flame by serving? See, we do more. We'll fan them into flame. And I want to say this. We do this within the tension of the necessary and the effortless. I need to say this. When you're in your place of gifting, it feels effortless, right? So Cam over here plays his... Musical thing, which I, I can't do. It would, be, it would be bad for me to pick the thing that you do up. Would, I wouldn't produce. But for him, relatively effortless, right? When you're serving in the thing that's your joy, it's relatively effortless. But there's stuff that needs to happen, like this floor needs to get vacuumed, the garden needs to get weeded, and I'm not sure who has the spiritual gift of doing that. If you do, come and tell me, by the way. Give it to you. But, but here's the thing there's lots of stuff we need to do as a church, right? That isn't actually someone's special gift just needs to get done you'll need to have a heart of service we want to help you to also find your gift that you might serve with joy and effortlessness in the thing that god's made you to do does that make sense great uh wonderful toy Uh, what do we think when our kids get one of these toys so uh, well you can tell me a number of things What, what do we think when our kids get one of these toys lord please don't let it be loud yes that's good but they they open it up It's clearly a thing that needs what? Great, you're with me. Needs batteries. And you wonder, did they include batteries? Have a look with me at this uh, next verse here. See, God gives us a gift. God gives us a gift. I want you to see what else he gives us. Verse 7. For the the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. I want you to know that the gift God gives you includes batteries. Batteries are included. He doesn't just give you a task and doesn't give you the power for it. And what I want to have a look at is what has God given us and what have we gained because he's given to us? He says he didn't give us a spirit of timidity. He didn't give us a timid spirit. So what does that mean? We've gained boldness. He says the spirit that he's given us has given us power, which means we have strength and ability to serve. It's a spirit who's given us love. What does love give us? a heart of service and humility. So when we're serving God, it's not all about us. It's about him. Power, love, and what's the third one? Self-discipline. Why do we need that? So that we can be proactive and persistent. Proactive and persistent. So we can keep going in serving God. He's given us a spirit who empowers us to be able to keep serving him. What a great God we have. So are you serving from the spirit, Spirit's empowering, or just working really, really hard. Now, lots of you work really, really hard. I know. I watch you. And what I want to say is, I want you to keep being able to do that. I want you to be able to keep doing that. See, because our church has been going for just coming up on six years, and we're doing awesomely. I, I'm really thankful to God, right? I'll let you in a little secret. I'd like you and I to be serving in six years time. In twelve years time, in eighteen years. Who knows? Jesus might have returned by any longer than that, I suspect. But but here's the thing, right? If if we just if we just it's just perspiration, we're gonna die at some point. We're gonna run out of energy. We're gonna chuck a hissy fit, we're gonna we're gonna get over it. Okay? And what I want to tell you today is I want us to find a way to keep serving God long to keep serving God long, a lifetime of serving him. And the key to running long is found in the Spirit's empowering, not just working really, 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 really hard until we drop. Anyone want to do this job? Oh, I see, Ash, put a hand up. It looks fun. Okay, that's one hand. Uh, Does anyone here want to just show me a little sneaky hand? This would not be your job. Great, okay, good. Why would that be? You'll die. Okay, very good. I think that's. I think that's the. It would be really fun, or you'll die. I think that's the. uh, That's the dichotomy that we're looking at here. Um, I want you to see. This is an exercise in trust, is it not? This job is an exercise in trust. I want you to see the trust that Paul has in verses nine to twelve. Have a look with me here. He saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of His own purpose and grace. For this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour Jesus Christ, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I'm suffering as I am, yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. So there's a high degree of trust required to be an abseiling window cleaner. What Paul is saying here is there's a high degree of trust required to be an enduring Christian. The trust is not in a rope, it's in our Saviour. And if you have that trust, you have the opportunity to go long Just in case you missed it, I want to stand on a seat and go, yeah, every time I read these words. I'm going to read them again. Just have a little moment with me. I know I'm weird. Okay, but have a listen. Have a listen. This grace was given us, it says in verse 9, in Christ Jesus, before the beginning of time, but has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Yeah. No, no, it's all right. Seriously. I'm telling you that death has been defeated and that you can be immortal. No, what ifs, Church, this is the glorious truth. This is is the stuff that should grab hold of us. And if today it's a bit blah, can I encourage you? Go to a funeral. You'll be at one soon enough and it'll be yours. And when it happens, you want to know that you will live beyond it. And that is what is on offer here. Jesus has destroyed death and he has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That is good news. It is glorious. Absolutely glorious. And so Paul says here, the gospel equals suffering. He says, join with me in suffering for the gospel. And everyone went, yeah, that sounds like a really good idea. Join with me in suffering for the gospel because it's such good news. It's worth suffering for is what Paul is saying. Join with me in suffering for the gospel. But he says, I'm not ashamed, yet this is no cause for shame for me, he says. Why not? Why isn't he ashamed when he's in prison, when he's beaten, when he's mocked, when he's humiliated? Why isn't it a shame for Paul? And he goes on to tell us, that's why I'm suffering as I am, yet there's no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed and I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him for that day. See, what's Paul done? He said, my eternity is in the hands of Jesus Christ, and I know him personally. And I'm utterly convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him for that day. I am sure I have personal knowledge of who Jesus is. I just don't know about Jesus. I know Jesus. And I'm absolutely convicted that on that final day, he will raise me up and I will live forever with him. That's glorious. That is absolutely glorious. Glorious. And so I want to ask you, do you know Jesus enough to ask him for eternity? Have you asked him for eternity? Are you convinced that he's got your eternity secure? Are you sure of that? See, because religion may have many tricks to keep you serving, but Christianity, true Christianity, has this relationship and its trustworthiness at its core. Why serve? Because Jesus is real and one day I will meet him face to face. I'm convinced of that. So I'll keep serving. Let's get really practical. We have, uh, we have this, uh, these four values, faithful, adventurous, compassionate, and enduring. We have a little document that we say explains how it is that we want to live these values out and we have some questions underneath that on how we'll win, win the prize. I want to look at each of those three questions in turn. Here's the first one. Where are you weak and in danger of falling? What does this question assume? It assumes you're weak, doesn't it? Where are you weak and in danger of falling? It does not tell you that you will. It merely says that you are weak somewhere. And I wanna think about the internal problem. The internal problem is I'm made weak by sin's fracturing. Sin has messed me up. I'm made weak internally. Jesus talks about the parable of the sower and and, uh, he says there's the devil and his lies that can steal God's word from my heart. He says, pressure and persecution may, choose, may, may cause me to choose to give up on Jesus. And he says, worries and wealth may choke me and cause me to be unproductive. Where are you weak and in danger of falling? I want you to think about that question. And look, maybe our confession, our times of confession remind you where you're weak. You know, you go, Well, I could confess these sins, but I'm always confessing this one. That might be where you're weak and in danger of falling, yeah? The second question says, who knows you well enough to ask this question? And we all collectively go, someone's going to ask me about my weaknesses, where I'm going to fall? How could that be possible? I want to say that is relationally heavy, is it not? This is the most... This is potentially the most shameful, the most vulnerable part of me, and I'm supposed to share that with someone else. Why would I do that? See to it, brothers and sisters, our reading from Hebrews said, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a a sinful, unbelieving heart. Why does it say that? Because your holiness is not a solo journey. It's a community activity. And it doesn't mean that everybody needs to know your weakness. I mean, somebody needs to know your weakness so they can stand with you, so they can strengthen you to run the race. And so what I want to suggest is be in a life group, but think of taking at least one relationship in your life group to the next level where we talk about these things. It's not prayer time and, hey, everybody share your weaknesses. Don't think that's going to work. But can we take relationships inside our life groups to the next level where we say, I'm going to chat with one person and I'm going to ask them to pray for me in my weakness. I've actually developed a little sheet. I've got one here today. There's some up the back near the Care and Connect things, which is actually a handy helper to get you to have the conversation. See, how do I have a conversation? I just want to have a conversation with you about how weak I am. That's weird, right? So use my weird piece of paper to help you have a weird conversation. Does that sound all right? Basically, what it says is, where are you weak in danger of falling? It's got eight circles on it. It's got a whole bunch of suggestions where you could be weak down the bottom. Write them in the circles. And then it's got a little green, orange, and red traffic light. And what that enables you to do is be able to say, red, this is a live issue for me today. Orange, this is a simmering issue that could get out of hand. Green, this is a past issue, but it probably is something that I should keep an eye on. Write some in the circles, pick which color they are, and have a chat about it. You'll be surprised other people have weaknesses as well. It's not just you. The third question is this and it relates to exactly that piece of paper. Who are you strengthening to run the race to the end? Who are you strengthening to run the race to the end? And there's two challenges here. Challenge one, you need the, con- the conviction, the courage, and the compassion to be a giver. I will care enough about you to ask you how you're going with your weakness. Do you know what, there's a much bigger challenge for Australians. Challenge number two is the humility to be a receiver to let someone care for you and say, I will help you stand. Church, I reckon if we're going to run long, this is actually really important. And it's really hard. I'm not mucking around how hard it is, but I would love us to bit by bit to be moving towards this that we might last. So let me apply what we've heard today. There's three places you can be, and you might be new to Jesus And you might be sitting here and you've never actually made the decision to follow Jesus. And you've heard today, I don't want to be at my own funeral without knowing about the immortality that's in Jesus. Well, we want you to find your match in Jesus. Isn't that good? Match in Jesus. See, we're lighting a fire. I I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to meet Jesus. Paul says to fan into flame the fire. Some of you haven't started the fire. Start the fire. Meet Jesus. Say, Jesus, have my eternity. Start me on that journey. Some of you are tired. You've let the fire burn down. And what you need to do is to become a big fan of service. Uh, What have I got there? When I need to bring a fire back up, I used to have my scout hat. And in the morning, you get on those embers and you give them a big fan with the scout hat because I was a scout. And and they'll come back to life. You put the kindling on top, it comes back to life. It's beautiful. And I want to say to you today, if you're tired, the answer isn't praying until you feel stronger. It's actually start serving and ask God to strengthen you in the serving. Get back to serving to fan into flame the fire. Some of you are cranking today. You are a raging fire for Jesus. How awesome is that? And what I want you to do is throw another log on the barbie. Keep seeking Jesus with all your heart. Fall in love with him again that you might run long until you see him face to face. Throw another log on the barbie. You know, our our awesome friend Mawson, he made it in the end. I think it's the most extraordinary story of survival. There's this beautiful prayer that we prayed uh, last week from the prayer book. It says, We also bless bless your holy name for all your servants who have died in the faith of Christ. Give us grace to follow their good examples that with them we might be partakers of your eternal kingdom. This is my prayer for us today. Endure, church. I'm going to ask Alec on our little video here to pray for us as we finish this message.